In this hour, we'll talk about boating in BC, and it, just by uh, coincidence, it happens to be one of those kinds of days when you want to be on the water. If you've never experienced it, it always amazes me at how few people have actually had the opportunity to get on the water, and the perspective of Vancouver, or Port Moody, Richmond, wherever you happen to be, Surrey, it doesn't matter uh, if you're uh, by the water, and most of us are, a chance to see the world from the water is really something very, very special. A lot of people think it has to be very, very expensive, but not necessarily. We'll uh, we'll get an expert in on boating in BC in just a couple of minutes. And then a little bit later on, we'll talk to, a, it, I want to make sure that I say this right, it's an ornithologist. Guy talks about birds. We want to, want to put this crow thing to rest. I heard Jill Bennett talking about crows all week when she was filling in for Simi Sarah, and again this weekend. Uh, this guy knows something about crows. We're going to find out, do, do crows really remember your face? Do they attack you? Well, what's that all about? In Australia, they're set to test traffic lights for your smartphone. What they'll do is they'll begin testing uh, at the pedestrian traffic lights in Sydney because uh, it just seems that we're always looking at our phones when we're walking anyway. So why not put the walk, don't walk sign or symbol or, or icon, if you will, right there on your phone? It sounds a bit bizarre, but it's true. The world's longest tunnel officially opened. It's 35 miles underneath the Swiss Alps. It took 17 years and cost $12 billion, which is about how long it takes uh, to get your kid through kindergarten and about how much it costs to get them through university. So many people have been stealing incontinence pads, those are adult diapers, that a store in Scotland has had to fit them with theft alarms each tag has a special siren attached, which goes off as someone tries to take the item without paying. How embarrassing. The Samsung Galaxy S7 Edge costs about $800 US. The new Solaran Android smartphone will sell for $14,000 US. The team behind Solaran said last week its phone is designed for international business people who want to keep sensitive information private. According to the company's press release, uh, the phone uses the same communication encryption technology as does the military. (laughs) Doesn't that make you feel that much more safe? Starbucks is taking on the newest trend in bean brewing. Have you heard of this? Coffee infused with nitrogen gas. More than 500 Starbucks locations will serve nitro coffee by the end of this summer. The drink will be made from a cold brew and then infused with nitrogen, which they say gives the coffee a creamier texture and sweeter taste. Firefighters in China were called to free a man from a washing machine. He got his head stuck. It it was wedged in the drum while he was trying to fix it. Took a team of six firefighters and 40 minutes to rescue the man. And he could have had it done so much faster if he just called the Maytag man. And a man in Anchorage... This guy made his way off with a front-end loader. Then he smashed it through the doors of a liquor store just because he wanted to get a few bottles of booze. So I'm thinking that if you require a front-end loader to carry home your packages from the liquor store, it may be one of the early signs that you really do have a drinking problem. We'll talk about boating in B.C. when we come back on Vancouver Consumer 
from News Talk 980 CKNW. 24 degrees downtown, a high in the, perhaps as high as mid-30s in the valley this afternoon. Very warm for this time of the year. And what better way to spend a weekend than on a boat? Many benefits to recreational boating in British Columbia. And once you get started, it seems that only your imagination is the limit to what you can do. Boating in BC is, I think, more affordable than a lot of people realize. Whether you own, rent, or charter one, it's it's very simple to get on the water. Probably renting is a good way to start uh, before you start to uh, lay out the big money for any kind of a boat of your own or just to get out for a couple of hours and, and get that experience. Uh, really a great way to stay active. And one of the best ways, as I said uh, just a moment ago, to see the, the various land markings that we know that you see from the water from a completely different perspective and uh, the nice thing, we've talked about this in the past, where people that, families that are, get together and they get on the boat and they put, they have their entire family there, maybe they have their dog with them as well, and they leave behind their technology, the, the phone, the iPad, all of those things that would normally distract them and they just you know, hang out. Don't necessarily have to have a conversation, but to take in uh, the view and the the various things that uh, the the water has to offer. So a chance to to get out and and see the 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 world from the water. And water sports are now becoming so very popular, like the dragon boats that you're now starting to see in Steveston and uh, as for many years in False Creek, the Dragon Boat Festival coming up a little bit later on this month, which has grown to be so much more than just uh, paddle boating or, or being in the dragon boat itself. I mean, these people are training for a long, long time to be uh, competitive on the water, but uh, it's a festival that has, uh, you know, beer garden, music, and, and everything else that goes along with it. Joining us by phone uh, this morning on Vancouver Consumer is the president of Boating BC, Don Pretty. Thanks for joining us this morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Excellent. Nice to have you with us. Thank you. Uh, we wanted to sort of get a, a general feel for for life on the water, whether it be somebody who's uh, into sailing or or power boating or perhaps stand up boarding. There's a lot to be said about being on the water. I keep uh, repeating myself by saying that if you haven't seen some of the points uh, from the water that we are usually uh, on with our feet, you haven't really seen the coastline. Well, that's absolutely true. You know, our tagline is BC is better on a boat. And it really, uh, the perspective from the ocean looking back and uh, out in the wilderness is absolutely spectacular in our province, both on the ocean and on the lakes up in the interior and other lake country uh, spaces. So it's just no better way as far as I'm concerned to get out and relax. But here's the, here, I guess here's the rub for, for you and people in your industry. Whenever you mention a boat to, to the uneducated or the unwashed, they always say, well, you might as well just open up your wallet and, and you know, just pour it right down the bilge because uh, it's just a, a big, huge money pit. But that's not necessarily the case, is it? Well, no. I mean, you can spend a lot of money if you wish to, but, uh, you know, you can get on the water very economically. Uh, and assuming you're going to spend a little bit of money on recreation, um, you know, you mentioned stand-up paddleboards, uh, kayaks, small sailboats, trailer boats. Uh, you can rent boats. You can charter boats. You can, 
you know, if you want to go down to almost any yacht club on a Wednesday night, uh, they're usually looking for crew to go out on sailing, you know, go on uh, Wednesday night sailing. So there's lots of ways to get on the water without it costing you money. Right, exactly. I think that's a great idea, too. I know a few people that do that. They go on those, those they come back sore, by the way. <laughs> and it's a, it's a heck of a workout. What, what effect is the, the U.S. dollar uh, having on, on boating in British Columbia? Well, I think uh, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, uh, uh, people from the U.S. have uh, been recognizing that there's good value in buying boats in Canada right now. So it's put a bit of tension on the market for used boats, uh, people coming up with their 20 or 30 uh, percent you know, increased dollar value. Um, and then the other thing is uh, we do get a fair number of people that uh, come from the U.S. and other parts of the world, but U.S. in particular, that come into uh, Canadian boatyards to get work done, um, which, again, it, uh, it helps the businesses in Canada, puts food on the table for many Canadians. But at the same time, it uh, may, you know, somebody from Canada might have to wait in line to get their boat fixed. Do you have any idea, this is a bit of a curveball, I didn't prepare you for this, but I'm wondering, as you you talk there about all these people that rely on this industry, any idea in the, in the recreational boating world how many people might be employed? Uh, across the country, there's about 66,000 people. I don't know specifically for BC, but in across Canada, 66,000 people are employed in the uh, recreational boating industry. We talked about this idea that, that owning a boat is, is a bit of a money drain. Uh, and, and recognizing that, yeah, you can spend as much as you want or perhaps as little as you want. I mean, safety is priority number one. We'll get to that in a moment. But I wanted first to, to have uh, a bit of a, a talk about some of the misconceptions. I want to give you an opportunity to dispel any misconceptions about boating, and particularly in B.C., and I should say that uh, Don Pretty is our guest, the president of Boating B.C. What would you say if you could dispel some of these misconceptions? Well, I guess again, um, you can you can buy boats, uh, small boats, uh, used or new. If you buy a used boat, you're going to get a lot uh, lower entry price. Um, you can buy uh, be part of a boat, like a partner with people. Uh, but that's a different way of getting on the water. Or you can just get out and rent a boat. Uh, I grew up out by Horseshoe Bay, and there's a great boat rental down there that uh, people can go and. Uh, they uh, do a little quiz, and they can get out on the water on a rental boat. So it really does not have to cost a lot of money to get on the water. Um, again, some people do spend a lot of money, and uh, but that's their choice. Uh, depends on the size of the vessel and where they want to keep it. Right. The further you go away from the urban centers, the lower cost uh, moorage and uh, marinas are going to be. You know, so if you're a little bit out of town, uh, boating becomes that much more uh, uh, reasonable. Sure, and I would. I'm thinking that, or at least logic. Don't let that get in the way of a good time. But it would seem that the the more experience you have, or perhaps as your needs become more, for example, if you are cruising overnight or for several nights, perhaps you want to get into something a little bit bigger or a little bit more luxurious. But again, you don't have to start there. No, no, gosh, no. There's there's lots of uh, areas to go that are very safe with small boats, uh, you know, 16, 19-footers. You know, you want to go out in a little cuddy cabin, you can spend a night in a marine park if you want, uh, or just do day trips, uh, but very close in and uh, comfortable for small boats. What about licensing and these kinds of requirements? Uh, what do you need to get on the water? You said that just a simple quiz will get you in a rental. Uh, what about ownership? 
Well, uh, ownership or, or operating a, a larger boat, there's uh, the pleasure craft operator's uh, uh, permit, and uh, those are uh, available online and or uh, at different course providers. Um, you can do those at the Vancouver Boat Show. There's usually at least two providers set up at the boat show for doing those kinds of tests. Um, but uh, there's many places to get it, and uh, you, you need to study a little bit, but you will certainly get through. And uh, it's, uh, it's the basics, it's the start, and uh, then you can move from there and get more education as you go along. Should we be concerned about safety on the water? I mean, that's obvious. It's a no-brainer. You want to be safe. But, I mean, how, how deep do you need to go to, to be safe and, and to make sure that uh, you're equipped uh, adequately, properly, to, to make sure you get home safely? Well, safety is always a concern, and then we all want people to be safe because if they are, if they're out there and being safe, then they're going to enjoy it more, and that's the name of the game. So um, the uh, there's a again on online with Transport Canada, there's a thing called the Safe Boaters Guide, which will explain all the safety equipment that is needed uh, for um, different size boats. It may be the Office of Boating Safety that has it, but it's on. It's available online. Just sure. look for the Safe Boating Guide. Uh, so it explains all the equipment that you need, and uh, in every case, uh, the first requirement is uh, is a personal flotation device or a life jacket, and uh, we would strongly encourage everybody to wear those things. And would that include your dog? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, of course. And a lot of dogs, they dogs love being on boats, don't they? they yeah, they do. Yeah. What's new in the industry of styles, types of crafts? Uh, I know that pontoons seem to be making a bit of a, a comeback or, or, a, or a startup. Or, uh, everyone talks about pontoons when you talk about getting on the water. Is that what's leading the pack right now? Well, pontoon boats are very popular on the freshwater systems around uh, B.C., uh, in the Okanagan and uh, the rivers and that, that sort of thing. Pontoon boats are very popular. Not so much on the on the salt water, but, um, uh, you know, water ski boats are very popular these days. Uh, competition ski boats are boats that you can pull tubers behind, uh, just again, recreation for family, that kind of thing, very popular. Another type of boat that's been uh, very strong in the last few years is the aluminum uh, fishing boat, up mm-hmm. to you know, 20, 22 feet, 18 feet, anywhere in that range. Uh, pretty bulletproof boats, but great uh, you know, sea boats and good for going fishing in. And they look cool, too. Yeah. <laughs> it re- I mean, it really has that coast feel, doesn't it, that, that look? Well, and it, it does, and we've got some fantastic uh, local boat builders building those kinds of craft here in British Columbia. So, uh, it, you know, we are really uh, resourced very well for getting out on the water. Well, how much uh, of the industry is uh, supplied locally, and how much of it is supplied uh, from outside of our uh, our area, whether the U.S. or elsewhere? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. The um, majority of the larger boats are built outside of Canada today, although we do still have some very successful uh, bigger boat uh, builders. But uh, uh, we lost a lot of those in 2008 when the economy went uh, went down. Um, but in the smaller boat range, those aluminum fishing boats and some fiberglass builders here, uh, there's still a fair number, but I don't, I can't tell you any percentages. Let's think that we're talking to a novice right now, and perhaps there are people that are novice that are listening, but many very experienced. What do you suggest as an organization to get people involved? What's the first step? You mentioned going to a rental outlet. Uh, is there anything else that you could recommend uh, to, if you want to spend more of your life on the water? 
Well, I would certainly take a, a good hard look at the Canadian Power Squadron. Uh, that's a, a volunteer group that does that does uh, training uh, and uh, teaching boat, safe boating uh, really across the country. And, uh, you know, that's kind of you, you get into the course through the uh, typically through the off season, so you're ready to go in the summer. But it's a very good uh, program, and there are other service or uh, uh, education providers that are very good for learning the basics. And mm-hmm. you know, again, people that are confident are going to be more safe out there, and they're going to have more fun. Right. As a boater, uh, what, what's your favorite place to be? Where Where do you like to go? Oh, you know, without question, for me, it's Princess Louisa Inlet up uh, up off Jervis Inlet. Okay. And as an organization, uh, Boating BC, uh, what is your mandate? Well, we we are a, a, a trade association, um, so we represent most of the businesses in the recreational boating industry. And uh, really, part of our mandate is to support our members, but really a great part of it is just to encourage people to try it. Just get out on water, try the boating lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Now, I know this is slightly off topic, but it, it is uh, having to do with on-the-water uh, marina space and that sort of thing. But there seems to be a, a, a revived, uh, if I can put it that way, a revived interest in float homes. Well, I, yeah, I think that's largely due to the fact that the real estate is so challenging <laughs> in both, of, both Victoria and Vancouver as far as the urban centers are concerned. Yeah. So, But do you feel that that might crowd out your space as a boater? Well, you know, I think uh, I think all waterfront uh, properties uh, have been under siege because of re- uh, uh, residential, whether it's on land or on the water, um, and and we just always have to be ch- in check or checking that uh, that uh, water access for boaters is uh, paramount. Um, yeah, so we're always working towards that and uh, fighting any changes that would take away from the recreational boater. Are the waters uh, around BC in about 30 seconds or so, uh, do you feel that uh, we're fairly well managed? Yeah, I think they really are, yeah. We've got some good things in place. Yeah. So uh, the recommendation today on what might be the hottest day so far of the year is to, to get on the water, enjoy, and get some sunscreen going. Absolutely. Wear a hat, get some sunscreen, wear your life jacket or PFD. You don't need to have the big bulky ones. They're nice, inflatable, very comfortable, but don't forget to wear them. Let's talk again sometime. You bet, Ian. Appreciate your time. Don Pretty is the president of Boating BC Association. It's Boating BC dot ca that's their website and uh, a couple of good suggestions for you to get out on the water we'll take a quick break on vancouver consumer from news talk 980 cknw it's nesting season and crows in the metro vancouver area are very protective of the three to six eggs they lay during the late april through end of may period enter the crow attack tracker an online map created by Rick Davidson, a telecommunications engineering technologist that offers a place to register your encounters. In other words, uh, attacks by crows. <laughs> Hardly uh, anyone I know has not at least heard of somebody, that, that, or if not themselves, been attacked by a crow. Um, you can even register just how aggressive the crow attack was in these alleged attacks. Jill Bennett covered this story uh, very well on CKNW and Global TV News. I've in, invited George Clulo to join us. He is the immediate past president of the British Columbia Field Ornithologists. It's a nonprofit, uh, and it's dedicated to BC's wild birds. Are, are, thank you for, for joining us. Are crows wild as well? 
Absolutely, Ian, yeah, but they just like hanging around people because we give them a lot of what they want. What do you think about this map that came out? <laughs> well, I had a chuckle, I must admit. Um, I think it's a good advertisement for their, uh, for their mapping uh, program. Uh, <laughs> whether it gives us a, a true picture of what's happening, happening I, I don't know. But uh, it, it is interesting and gets people interested in crows. I just hope that it doesn't uh, make people believe that crows are something to be uh, uh, disliked. Uh, they are a bit uh, protective of their families at this time of year, just like human beings. And, um, you know, this is just a seasonal uh, thing. Uh, in the winter, you can go down to the massive crow roost here in Burnaby at uh, Still Creek Avenue and uh, you can have literally thousands of crows all around you, and they are not paying you the slightest bit of attention. So if I were to ask you, I guess the answer is no, if I were to ask you, should we be afraid of crows? Absolutely not. I think you need to be aware of crows, and that uh, this time of year uh, they can be very defensive, especially when they've got, as you mentioned in your intro, eggs, but more particularly uh, when they've got young in the nest, and those young are... Uh, just on the point or just fledged. In other words, they've just left the nest. Right. That's when the young are most vulnerable. And that, to me, my observation is that's when the crows get the most right. aggressive because they know the young are vulnerable at that stage. Do, do crows kick their young out, basically? No, actually the opposite. Oh. Um, they don't do that. No, they, they look after their young. In fact, if you... Uh, find a crow's nest in your neighborhood, and I, I, I'm sure based on the map, there's plenty in the West End in the street trees. Uh, <laughs> apparently. Apparently. Um, if you watch them carefully, you'll probably notice that there are maybe up to four or five adults feeding the young in one nest. And what you're seeing is the crows um, from the previous year raising their, uh, helping their parents raising this year's siblings. So they're a very, very social bird, and they actually cooperatively raise their young. Right. So the, the whole extended family thing is at play. Big, big important thing. And that's why they're able to communicate uh, very quickly, um, you know, when there's, there's danger in the area and uh, rally the troops, so to speak. Is it, do, do you know, is it a universal language uh, when, they, when they do their, their cawing, or is it, uh, is it individual to that particular family or that little area? I think the general calls, um, I mean, bird watchers like myself uh, identify birds sometimes first by voice and then later by visual. Uh, crow calls are very similar, um, and there may be regional differences. Um, I don't think we've studied it enough to know if the calls are all identical. We can't hear all the subtle uh, harmonics and so on that are in the calls with our ears but crows may well. But generally speaking, a car is a car. Mm-hmm. Now, when the, when the crow is upset or, or bothered or threatened by the presence of uh, we humans, uh, so what are they doing? Are they, are they, in fact, dive bombing? Are they trying to scare us? Are they, or they're, they're not really attacking, I take it. They're just trying to warn us. Well, I think a few people have got the odd peck here and there. Um, and, but most of the time, what they're trying to do is move you away from the area where their, where their nest is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also watch them do this with eagles, ravens, uh, a whole flock of crows, a whole mob of crows, or if you prefer, a whole murder of crows, mm-hmm. will fly up and chase these birds away, and you'll watch them. The, 
the eagle will get a certain distance away, then all the crows will break off and fly back to their uh, territory. That's much the same as is happening with people. They're trying to get you out of the area. So then is it incumbent upon us, if we're walking down in the West End or anywhere else, there's a nest that maybe, maybe we should cross the street. Oh, yeah, that's, that's my recommendation. If you know an area where they're, where they're swooping and where they're defending a nest, go to the other side of the street. If they're really quite pushy about it, use an umbrella. Yeah. Well, a lot of us don't carry umbrellas at this time of the year, let alone when it rains. I know, but a walking stick might do the same thing. <laughs> Just hold it up. Uh, oh, I or, see. Or a walking pole. Just hold it up. Don't swing it at them. No. Really bad, really bad uh, idea, that is. But yeah. if you hold it up, uh, probably they're going to swoop at the highest point. They're not going to come below below something that's higher than the person. Yeah. Well, what if you really piss a crow off? Uh, you know, the crow never forgets your face. That's right. So so don't. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you piss one off, uh, it's likely to remember you. Um, the, the scientists uh, from, uh, in Seattle did studies on this, um, and I think probably a lot of people have seen the TV show uh, recording this, where they uh, put a person in the street with a mask on uh, that was aggressive towards the crows, and every time that mask showed up again on a human being, the crows uh, called in the troops, as I was saying, and, uh, uh, and were mobbing that person, driving them away. The warning went out, watch out, this dangerous uh, person is around. And they remembered it, yeah. passed it on from generation to generation. So it was still it would still produce a reaction years later. Wow. How long do crows live, do you know? Uh, I, I didn't look that up for the interview, but I would imagine in captivity probably 25 years or more. In the wild, uh, probably around 10, 15 would be my guess. Um, but for most birds, and crows are no different, uh, the first year of life is when mortality is the highest. Oh, most interesting. Of them die because they just don't know all the dangers. They're not as mm-hmm. alert as a wise old crow right. as a young teenager, just kind of like humans, you know? Well, that's interesting you say that. So their wisdom comes with age just like, well, hopefully like humans. Hopefully like humans, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I, I had a, an injury. Well, there was a lot of noise going on in my, my backyard where I've got a lot of high trees and and nest, no doubt, uh, from time to time. And there was a, an apparently an injured crow. I saw it. it. It couldn't take flight. It was on the grass. And lo and behold, if there weren't a whole community of crows that came to this bird's rescue, including what I consider to be the ground crew, those that were trying to help the crow out on the ground, those that were perched on the fence uh, overseeing the situation, and then yet stir f- further up on the roof line, on the trees, and et cetera. And it looked like a whole community effort trying to get this one crow out of trouble. Yeah, so probably what you're seeing is the crows higher up are uh, really on sentry duty. They're keeping their eye out for distant uh, dangers approaching, and they can warn the others on the ground um, that are trying to help the injured crow. Uh, that something's on the way, watch out, and the, uh, the, the, the watchers, if you like, probably on the fence and up on the roof will, will, will probably try to chase that, uh, that potential danger away, whether it's a cat, a dog, a person, a uh, raccoon. Um, they'll, they'll all try and shoo it away. Yeah, It seems uh, fascinating, but they really do come to, to the rescue, don't they? they? They really are there to help one another out. They, they are, yeah, especially if it's a young bird that's in that extended family group. Interesting. So that's, that's likely what you were seeing there. 
So for anyone who's walking the streets of the West End or, or elsewhere, uh, how long is this, this period of, of nesting going to last? Well, I would probably say to the end of this month, you should see it uh, tapering right off now yeah. uh, by the end of the month uh, when, when the young are fledged. Sometimes the crows um, maybe lose a first nest and uh, for some reason or one of the parents uh, is killed and there may be a late nesting going on, so there'll be some late, uh, late fledglings around. So, so you may find the odd occasion um, when, when these things are happening. And I haven't looked, I mean, I have looked at the map online, but what would be a nice thing for the map to, to track is, okay, how does this vary seasonally? Mm. To see over time, like it starts right. up in uh, April, and, uh, you know, when does it hit? Uh, reach its highest peak, and when does it start to taper off? That would be a nice little addition to that map. Yeah. Let, let me ask you a question, and I don't mean to be glib when I ask this question, but uh, as someone who's a professional in, in this field, uh, are we spending too much time talking about crows? Is there is there some other bird that we should be spending more time talking about? Oh, <laughs> well, there's, there's lots. Um, I'm not sure too much time. A bird that wakes you up at 5 a.m. in the morning, uh, that uh, swoops at your head when you're walking down the street, it gets a lot of attention. Yeah. Um, but there's, uh, you know, tremendous uh, bird success stories going on in, in the Vancouver area. Uh, one that comes to mind is sort of at the opposite end of the uh, size scale, almost, to crows, and that's the Anna's hummingbird. Mm. Uh, and, and its population has just exploded um, after migrating north from uh, California in the last 30 or more years, these birds have spread right up the coast and uh, now made it as far as Alaska. And they're with us all year. Right. So at one time, you know, uh, any hummingbird was only seen in the spring. Now we've got year-round uh, hummingbirds in the area. That's one and then the bald eagle is another one that lots of people see. Yeah, they, they're, they're coming back in bigger oh, numbers. Huge, yeah. huge comeback. Once we stopped persecuting, once we took bounties off them. So once spectacular. We, once we stopped using DDT, once, you know, uh, give the birds some space and they'll do well. Give them some habitat. And bald eagle numbers are just uh, spectacular. I mean, we can get, uh, you know, six, 700 bald eagles around Boundary Bay uh, in the winter, let alone going to the big eagle viewing sites yeah. up in uh, um, Squamish, Squamish, yeah. and out in Harrison in the valley. Uh, yeah, so there's there's a couple of birds that are easy to see that people do see that are a real success stories. Yeah, those great. I love the eagles. I see a lot of them in the Steveson area. Very very quickly, uh, are crows related to roosters? You mentioned that they wake us up early in the morning. I mean, what's up with that? And how can we get them to shut the you know what up? <laughs> well, you can't really. Um, it's what they do. No, they're not related to roosters, <laughs> but, but we're not allowed chickens. Uh, well, we're just starting to allow chickens again in uh, in neighborhoods. Right. I guess the crows have just filled that gap for us. <laughs> and uh, this is way too big a question for you to answer in the in the thirty seconds I have for you. But let's just let's just enter the topic, and then maybe we get you back. But what about the whole idea of backyard feeding? Oh, I, I'm in favor of backyard feeding. Um, if you don't want crows around, then um, uh, don't uh, don't encourage them into your yard. Um, but um, but backyard feeding, if it's cont- continued all year, varying the kinds of foods, 
generally, I think it's a good thing. It, it gets people to appreciate birds. You get to see them up close. And uh, I, I'm certainly in favor of backyard feeding. But uh, downsides for people, be careful. Make sure you've got good seed that doesn't produce a lot of waste. If you produce waste, you attract rats, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's my neighbor for you. Um, <laughs> and, and she puts out a lot of bread, too, which I don't think is, is the best idea. No, but give them, give them seed. Yeah. And fat is the main things that I use. Sunflower seeds, millet, right. and, and uh, these, the fat blocks. The fat yeah. is very high. Uh, value food for a lot of the birds, woodpeckers, chickadees, and so on. Right. Got to leave it there, but uh, okay, yeah. uh, I, what I really appreciate your time, uh, what you said to me, and I want to share this, uh, is you said, what are you doing, Ian, trying to find somebody who's in the bird business when we're all out in the field at this time of the year? So I really do appreciate your time. Uh, George Clulo is the past president of BC Field Ornithologists, and uh, perhaps we can get you back sometime and talk more because I think it's fascinating. Okay, in, but not next weekend. I'm out in the field again. <laughs> Have fun. Enjoy. Right. All Bye-bye. the best. Okay. Uh, we'll take a quick break on Vancouver Consumer. Much more coming up on News Talk 980 CKNW. I'm joined in studio by Zamir Karim. He is a CKNW talk show producer. And uh, you have found what might very well, and it's local too, which I like. Uh, what, this might be the ultimate app. Well, it's a brand new app, uh, just been on the App Store just a couple of weeks. It's all about getting connected with people in real life, in real time. You know, social media has uh, made us, has almost isolated us when it was supposed to do the opposite. This new app called Want2 does the opposite. It connects you with people that you're connected with in, on, through Facebook, friends, whatsoever, friends of friends, and it gets you in person with each other. Why don't we hear a little bit from the... Uh, uh, the 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 creator of the app, his name is Nash Kassam. He's he's a local Vancouverite who decided to do this after he found it troubling uh, to find people to hang out with after he finished work uh, late at night. When I was working at my last startup, uh, I would get home at around you know nine thirty ten p.m. and it was often challenging to find someone to go grab a bite with. And you know at that time of night, I didn't really want to cook, so I thought to myself. You know, on a you know literally a weekly basis, I was thinking, man, I wish there was an app or some way I could know uh, who else that I already know wants to eat. Um, and after a couple of years, no one came up with the idea, so I thought, hey, let's just go ahead and do it myself. Um, and so we started working on the concept. And it, you know, there's three activities: it's uh, eating, like drinking or partying, and exercising. So it's basically finding existing friends and one degree of separation, so friends of friends. Um, in real time, in a near proximity. Necessity. Yes. I, I like the list of food, drinks, and exercise. Exactly. In that order? <laughs> I, I, I would put it, uh, I think I would put the, the exercise first. Yes. Well, exercise, food, drinks. Yeah, I, I think the idea was when, when Nash created this, it was around when he was getting home late at night and he was hungry, wanted to go out for dinner sure. with somebody. As a young professional myself, and I think this app is primarily geared to a lot of young single people that don't have uh, significant others, uh, it's targeted to, to groups of people that that do work late at night and they come home, they, they come home to an empty apartment. Oh man, I don't know how many times this <laughs> has happened to me. You come home to an empty apartment or empty house and, and you're hungry, but it's what, 9 or 10 o'clock at night? It's going to take you an hour just to, to cook food or whatever and clean after that's going to be midnight by the time you're 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 uh, done eating and cleaning. Have you, have you not heard of delivery? Yeah, but sometimes sometimes you don't want to sit at home alone and eat alone. Right. Like, 
you have your wife and your your children, so you, you don't ha- necessarily have to eat at home. But for a lot of young professionals, a lot of young people that come home to these empty apartments, they're they're either eating with a book or watching TV or Netflix. Like sometimes it's nice to to meet other people, and this is a a method to do that. Isn't it interesting that they've taken this technology to to get us to connect face to face? Well, the problem is, is that uh, we're not. Uh, the problem is the solution. Yeah, the problem is the solution. We we almost just have to go back to the good old days where we have to n- walk next door and knock on our neighbors' doors to say, "Hey, how you doing?" Uh, we don't do that nearly as much anymore. So we have technology that can help us through it. Why don't we hear fr- a bit more from Nash? Nash will explain uh, how it's set up. So far, it's been pretty good. Uh, we already have a couple thousand downloads. Uh, we have people downloading the app from kind of all over North America. Um, so, it, you know, the app itself revolves primarily around people downloading it and inviting their friends to join it. That's how it works best. Um, so what we hopefully will see is a little bit of a network effect where people like the idea, they download it, and then they invite their friends to join, and then the friends who join invite their friends to join, and we should see a little bit of a network effect. If two friends join, another two friends will join. Exactly. And then another two friends will join. That's six friends. It, and But not yet. Yeah, it's six friends, and you can get connected to not only your own friends, but the friends of those friends as well. So that network becomes even larger. This is good. I like this. Uh, it's it, a multi-level marketing well, scheme. What I was going to say, you, now, you, now you're actually thinking along the same lines because I'm thinking – he could do something with the app that would determine who picks up the tab when you go out for drinks, <laughs> right? Have you ever not heard of uh, credit card roulette? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but uh, I'm thinking just if you're like creating this kind of social interaction mm-hmm. among your friends, you deserve to be taken out for drinks. I guess, yeah, you're 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 becoming the center of that network, and That's you're right. al- allowing all your other friends to connect. And, and you are the hive; the bees are there exactly. to serve. Yeah. So, are you the queen? Then you become the queen. No, I'm the worker bee. <laughs> the worker bee. I just, I just, you know, I just do it. I just work it. <laughs> what else you got here? This one, there's one. Other th- you have another clip. Yeah. Here. So uh, Nash explains that this app is best targeted in in. A central area where a lot of people, a lot of connected people, like somewhere in downtown Vancouver, downtown Toronto, New York, Chicago, large metropolitan areas where a lot of people can get connected uh, quickly and the networks can grow quite large. Yeah, so we're looking at a few different options. Um, I'm of the opinion that it's going to be best rolled out in a city, like a few cities at a time, uh, where we can invest a little bit of money in, you know, Facebook advertising. Uh, Instagram advertising, things of that nature, and try to work on it, try to get a little bit of a buzz going in a few different cities. Um, the app is primarily developed or built for young professionals or college students, um, you know, people who don't have their schedule set in stone and they have to live a little bit more spontaneously. Um, so that's kind of the audience we're working for or working towards. So what we want to do is we want to uh, hit cities that are very populated, very busy, um, and where it also makes sense to uh, meet new people. So one of the components of the app is the friends of friends or the one degree of separation, and you're going to see more people inclined to, you know, meet up with people maybe they don't know but they have mutual friends. Um, you're going to see that becoming a little bit more popular um, in bigger cities where things like networking and, 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 you know, building out your network and having more contacts is becoming more valuable. I, iTunes has it. Uh, so the, the Apple Store 
uh, the application store, yes. the app store has it, but it, it's not on Android just yet. Not yet. They're, uh, from what I know from talking with Nash and his friend who who got me onto the app. What uh, is it working for you? It, I I just downloaded it. Okay. I haven't had an opportunity to give it a kick yet, but it looks really cool. The What's interface. it called? It's called Want Two. Want Two. Want Two. It's so easy to find in the app store. It's it's how much? much is it? It's like, free. Oh, it's free. It's free. Well, how does how's Nash making money? Uh, the, the, I think there will be in app purchases in okay. later on, but I don't think it's it's quite at that point. You know what it's, I like? What I like about Nash, what he's doing here is he's he's got this idea. And rather than sitting on his hands, he's, he's put his hands to work. He's been at the keyboard developing this thing because he feels that there's a need and some importance to this. Well, it, it's funny you say that because Nash thought that th- this app may have already been available. Oh. And he looked for it, looked online, and then when he realized that nobody had actually created it, that's when the idea came from, and that's when he decided that he was going to do it himself. And he contracted – he's not a he's not an app developer himself. He, he actually contracted – uh, an app team out of India to get it created because that was the most cost-effective way. Thanks to do for it. bringing that to Vancouver Consumer, uh, Zamir Karim, who is a, a CKNW reporter and talk show producer. Uh, Jamie Benteen is our technical producer. Uh, Zamir and I will be working together as we fill in for Shane Foxman. But I just want to say I'm very excited because in about 15 minutes from now we're going to talk about Muhammad Ali with a real expert, somebody who met him and had an experience here in Vancouver with him. Uh, So hang around for that. Uh, That's Vancouver Consumer for today on News Talk 980 CKNW.